Thanks, Jono and the worship team. Thanks to Lisa Land for leading us beautifully. Such a full and beautiful service. Thanks to you, Lisa Land. And uh, Ovayo is reading for me this morning. John 1, verse 1 to 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well done, Ovayo. And... uh The word became flesh and it dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and we've seen it. So that's where we are this morning, and uh, I want to join Lizalyn and say to you, thank you for joining us in this special Christmas and family service, and the title of my message this morning is Christmas is down to earth. And that has been made abundantly clear in both the passages that we read this morning. The one from Isaiah, which James read for us, and the one from John, which Ovayo read for us. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a tough competition. (laughs) And both of those passages, they make this point very clear that Christmas is down to earth. John makes it even more clear. He says the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And by flesh he means skin and bones and blood. Jesus became one of us. And one commentator said this is the reality of Jesus to influence our relating Now that we know who Jesus is, the question is, how are we going to relate to him? So, because on Christmas, or Christmas speaks of God, who in Jesus stepped into our world in order to bring light and life and hope to our world of darkness and death. That's what Christmas speaks of speaks of God who stepped down into our world, the world that is full of darkness. And he came to bring light, to bring life, and to bring hope. And those themes, the theme of light and darkness, is dominant in the passages that we've read. 
both Isaiah and John, we see this theme coming through as, as the dominating theme. And darkness, in, in both light and darkness in the scripture, they are symbolic. Darkness symbolizes evil and ignorance. When somebody, somebody doesn't know something that we know, we often refer to them that they are in the dark. And so darkness speaks of evil and it speaks of ignorance. But here we can see as Isaiah tells his story that before the birth of Jesus, there were people who were experiencing darkness, who were experiencing this bottomless evil, grief and hurting. And that is something we also can relate with, especially as we come to the end of this weird year, where we also have experienced something of the bottomless grief. But also, one of the marks of Christmas is light. We see this both in our homes and as we walk and drive around the city, we see light everywhere. Of course, this year will be different. But it is easy for all of us to see these beautiful decorative lights and miss what they symbolize. It is easy for us to miss Isaiah's vision of a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. May I ask you this morning not to miss the light of the world. Not to miss this great light Isaiah speaks of. As you look in all the lighting in your home and elsewhere, remember that they just symbolizes the most important and big light. But there's something else we do on Christmas. On Christmas, we dress up. We dress up almost everything. We dress up trees. We dress up windows. We dress up houses. We dress up food. We dress up presents. And of course, there is nothing attractive like a pair of socks wrapped in a beautiful paper. And only when you open, you realize that it's only a pair of socks. Somebody is suggesting, is that what I received for Christmas? <laughs> but let's remember, while we dress up on Christmas, Jesus, the Son of God and King, dresses down. Paul tells us in his letter to Philippians that this Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be exploited. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. Not only he made himself nothing, but he was obedient to his father, even to death and death on the cross. The most humiliating death. Jesus made himself to nothing. So let's remember that as we dress up on Christmas, 
Jesus, the Son of God, dresses down. He became dependent to mom and dad for feeding and for cleaning, as it was beautifully demonstrated in Tix's story. He too, like us, he experienced all human frailties. Even though he was young, but he knew what it is to be vulnerable and to be frail. Now, that brings us to the passage that we just read. And it's known as John's prologue. In other words, the opening story of Jesus. But I like to call it John's Christmas story. It is made up of four words, four words that changed the, entire, the history of the entire universe. The word became flesh. That's big. I'm not sure if you realize because it means the eternal God became man. God became something. He had never been without ceasing to be what he always been. Those are the words of David Turner. God became man. C.S. Lewis described this passage which we read as the central miracle of Christianity. And another one, J.I. Packer calls it the supreme mystery of the gospel, the incarnation. Incarnation means God becoming man. So this is big. It doesn't get bigger than this. This is the game changer in the New Testament. And John is writing for us with an overriding aim of making the case about the identity of Jesus. That's what John is writing about. He wants us to know who Jesus is. This is important for us to pause and reflect on it, especially in this time in, during Christmas. Because almost every issue in Christian life or Christian discipleship can be stemmed back from the false identity of Jesus. Think of the things that we say when we meet somebody for the first time. What are some of the things that we say to them? We want to, name, to know their name. What is your name? We want to know what do they do. We want to know where they're coming from. We want to know their story. And here John answers all of those questions for us of Jesus. So we need to get hold of this, of John's prologue. Because it helps us to know who Jesus is. John gives us a vision of Christ. Not just a small, narrow vision, but a big vision of who Jesus is. And some of us have a false image of who Jesus is. We have a Jesus of our own making. And this one is the most dangerous one because it sets us up for disappointment. When that Jesus of my own making doesn't meet my expectations of him, I become disappointed. I become disillusioned and become and lose hope in Jesus. Some of us have a, an image of a merely good man. 
a moral teacher, a pale Galilean. But John says to us, this is not an option. If we get hold of John's prologue of Jesus, we realize those false images of the identity of Jesus are not an option. But instead, John gives us a vision of Christ who is big, who is cosmic, and who fills the whole creation. He gives us a vision of someone who is worthy of our worship. Someone that we must worship with every fiber of our being. Someone who can fix our hope in him. So what is your vision of Jesus? Do you have a Jesus of your own making? Do you have a merely good man, kind of an image of Jesus? Do you have a moral teacher, kind of an image of who Jesus is? A story is told of Mahatma Gandhi, who was apparently attracted to Christianity and Christian people. And at some point in his life, he met a, a Christian missionary who said to him, Gandhi, you have got the principles of Christianity, but you have missed the person. You have missed the person behind Christianity. And John here doesn't want us to miss the person. He is drawing us in to the person behind Christianity. Because Christianity is not just philosophy, but it is a life-changing experience. It is knowing who Jesus is. John helps us. He gives us answer to the question, who is this child born in Bethlehem? And he does this in a supreme and beautiful way because it stretches our mind to a breaking point. It takes us to the mind of God. John says to you and I, if you want to grasp who Jesus is, go back to the beginning. In the beginning. That's where John is sending us. And I want to pick up just three pictures, just bullet points. And uh, you will know if you've read the passage, 14 verses has more than what I'm here, I'm here to offer. So I'm not here to do justice and full exegesis of the, of the passage, but just to give us a glimpse of John's portrait of Jesus in this passage. John tells us in verses 1 and 3 that this is the eternal one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing that has been made. What is John doing here? Well, John is telling us everything that we should know about who Jesus is. The most ultimate thing he can about Jesus. One commentator said, it took him more than three years to figure out the fullness of who Jesus is. And he wants us to know him in three verses. I thought that was quite catchy. More than three years to discover who Jesus is. And he summarized that for us in these three beautiful verses. John wants to blow away all our false 
images about who Jesus is. And he chooses this extraordinary phrase, the word logos. And it's a wise choice because it speaks both to his Jewish and Greek listeners. It, it has an immediate resonate for both of those audiences. For a Jew, it would, he would recommend, remember this from back in the Genesis in the beginning. And it would remind him of the word of God. The word of God that has got creation expression in it. Expressive power. And it speaks of the will, the mind, and the working of God from the beginning. It would remind him, a Jewish listener, that in creation, God spoke. And the Hebrew scriptures are full of a speaking God. Not only speaking, but acting God. And so as John tells us, takes us back to Genesis, he wants us to remember this God and go back in his mind and see how he has acted and how he has communicated to us. This is the word that brought the entire universe into existence. And that word which was there in the beginning, John is saying to you and I, that word is here now with us. In the beginning was the word. And that word is now here with us. John wants us to know that Jesus was always there. He is before time. One of the church fathers says, there never was when he was not. Nothing was made without him. This gives us, should give us confidence. As we put our hope in Jesus, it reminds us that he is the creator. This week I had to pray for someone who is on the other side of the world, who's overseas, and I had to think, I can't just call this person. I can't just communicate. I rely on email and certain time of the day when they awake up. But Jesus is there now. And that Jesus, I can reach to him. This gives us confidence. He is the organizing principle of the universe. He made everything. He was with God, and he is God. And this is the person we meet in the gospel. Therefore, to be a Christ follower, it means to enter into something of a fellowship that exists between God the Father and the Holy and God the, God the Father and God the Son by means of the Holy Spirit. You and I, when we become Christian, we enter in that fellowship. We enter in that intimacy. We become part of that fellowship of the Father, the Son, by the Holy Spirit. It is such a privilege. So this is the eternal one. John wants to remind us. Verses 9 and 11. John doesn't want us to give, he doesn't want to give us a romantic picture of Christmas. But he also wants us to know that 
there is dark side to this. Because in verses 9 and 11, he tells us that he is not only the eternal one, but he is also the rejected one. He doesn't want us to romanticize Christmas. He doesn't want us to domesticate his prologue, his picture of who Jesus is. It's not all comfort and joy. No, there is rejection. There is darkness. There is denial of the person of Jesus. There are those who choose what we call, what I often like to call deliberate deafness and deliberate blindness. They deliberately choose to be blind to the things that they should hear and they choose to be, sorry, to, to see and the things they, they should hear. So Christmas is not only about a living God who comes to us to tell us that everything is right. No, human response to God's offer, to God's son, digress towards darkness. As he come as the light of the world, people move towards darkness. Verses 9 says, the light came, true light came. But verses 10, he was in the world, and though the world was not made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. This is a measure of rejection. It is beyond description. It is an utter rejection of God's light. And it is frightening to think of it that you and I could say to our maker, we don't receive your light, your life. We do not know you and therefore we don't receive you. He is the eternal one. He is the rejected one. And my prayer this morning that there will be nobody who is here who would fall among those people of verses 10 who says to their maker, to their light and to their life, I don't know you, I don't recognize you, and therefore I don't receive you. I'm walking away from your light and I'm moving towards darkness. He is the rejected one. Verses 14, he is the glorious one. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from, from the father full of grace and truth. This pre-existent word, the creator, became a human being. The, the stuff of God became our stuff and he dwelt among us. And the Greek word for it, it says, he built his tent among us. If you move into a, a new neighborhood and you decide to build a palace, with high walls and cameras and fences. That says something about you and your interest about getting to know the people around you. 
But if I come and build my tent or pitch my tent in your backyard, that says something about the relationship that we're going to have. Sometime last year, just to give my children an experience of camping, we took a little tent, we put it in our garden. And Apiwa said, no, 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 you can have fun. I will stay in my bed. But you see, because we had a tent, we needed to keep a good relationship with Apiwa. Because if we need bathroom and we need water in the kitchen, we're going to need to ask her to open the door and let us in. So the fact that we slept outside didn't mean our relationship was broken. Instead, we needed her more in case one of the children is scared at night and she wants to, he wants to go inside and we can be able to say, will you please let us in? And that's the picture here. Jesus did not come and build the palace with high walls and put electric fence on top and cameras to watch who is trying to do anything. No, he built a tent in our backyard so that he can get to know us. That's the picture of John. John wants us to know this Jesus. This is John's Christmas story. It's not, a, it's not about a distant Jesus, but it's about God coming in our world in the person of Jesus, pitching his tent among us and wanting to invite us to a fellowship with him. And as we go, having family Christmas meal, I pray that you will get hold of this portrait of, G of John that you will remember John's prologue and ask yourself, what is your own image of Jesus? Is he the eternal one, the one who was always there? Is he the one who was rejected? Where are you? Have you embraced him or are you among those who have rejected him? Do you know his glory? Have you ever experienced his glorious presence in your life? Think about those. Let's pray. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here on earth. Your will be done in us and through us as it is in heaven. We ask you to give us our daily bread and meet all our needs, both practical needs and spiritual needs. We ask you to protect us from evil and the evil one. We ask you to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the glory, the power, forever and evermore. Lord, we thank you that you gave that prayer to your disciples. You said to them, this then is how you should pray. You told them if they want to pray in your will, they must pray this kind of prayer. So Lord Jesus, we, we want to pray the prayer that pleases you. We ask you to 
work with us to warm our hearts and to help us to connect with our loved ones, with our families and friends during this time and to go before us and behind us and to turn your face towards us. For your name's sake. Amen. So Merry Christmas to everyone and we're sending you back home with love. Have a good day, Feather.